fucking deep. I like it. These guys are jerks. Fucking deep. Bless you, boys. Young men expressing themselves. Unbelievable. Fucking deep. Put it in deep. Long pass up, picked up here by Torres. He'll come in. Torres, long, second chance. He scores. Deep, putting the puck deep, put pucks in deep, just put the puck deep, getting pucks out, getting pucks deep, pucks in deep, pucks in deep, puck deep, pucks deep, keep getting pucks deep. Mike Ross here, public address announcer for the Toronto Maple Leafs. You're listening to the Pucks in Deep podcast with Adam Lesko and Josh Coleman. And the place goes crazy! You love that old, well, I guess it's like, it's old now. 2017 is old. Yeah. So I can say that old Bob Cole highlight pack there. Pre-rebuild Senators. Pre, very pre. Happier days. Right? Very Very pre. pre, Because that was. Pre-teardown, I guess. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It happened that summer. Yeah, I guess that was, uh, after that run is when it started. So strange. Still strange to me. To this day, yeah. will always remain strange that they go on this run. They're super exciting. They're winning these games in overtime, as you could hear. And then suddenly, that was it. No more fun. <laughs> no more fun. <laughs> no one gets paid. Everyone gets <laughs> traded. <laughs> and yeah, everyone gets traded. And then internally, let's go. Like, people are getting fired. People are getting laid off. People are quitting. But our next guest was there through it all. He was there through it all. We have a very exciting guest here uh, to announce. Well, I guess it's beyond the point of announcing. Let's go. It's in the goddamn title. We got Pierre Dorian, the current general manager of the Ottawa Senators, mid-season joining. Exclusive. Yeah, exclusive. Mid-season exclusive joining the Pucks and Deep podcast. I had some buddies of mine say there's there's no way you got him mid-season. <laughs> I said, not only did we get him, we had him. And we had a good chat with Mr. Dorian. We're not going to really waste too much time. Lesko will bring the audio uh, to our listeners, and we'll see you guys on the other side. But I, I did want to ask you, how did it feel with the earmuffs on and the, the via rail horn blaring oh. in your ears there? Oh, <laughs> we want to talk about memories. <laughs> Oh, a lot of pain, a lot of pain, a lot of pain, a lot of pain, a lot of pain. All right, folks. Yeah. So the uh, Pierre Dorian audio coming your way right now. Lesko and myself will be right back on the other side. All right, folks. Today's guest brings over 30 years of NHL experience as a scout 
and a general manager with the Montreal Canadiens, New York Rangers, and Ottawa Senators. Currently, he is the GM of the Ottawa Senators and has been since 2016 and has carefully navigated the team through a very important rebuilding process. We are very proud and very honored to welcome to the Pucks in Deep podcast, Mr. Pierre Dorian. Pierre, thanks so much for joining the boys on the Puck Pod here today. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. So, Pierre, I guess last week you were at the GM meetings on Tuesday, and then on Wednesday you're being accosted here by my co-host at the Pembroke Memorial Center. So, I just want to know what you were, what were you doing at the PMC that night? Uh, very simple. We finished our meetings about eleven o'clock that morning. I was very fortunate that uh, another GM let me on his uh, plane. So I was able to fly to Toronto. We can figure out which GM that was. Uh, and then uh, he, had a, he had a charter. And then uh, from there, I was able to um, get a ride to, uh, to the main terminal. And uh, we went to, uh, flew from Toronto to Ottawa. And uh, as soon as I landed, jumped in the car. And I probably missed the first 10 seconds of the game. So, Okay, so I imagine we know who that GM was, uh, Mr. Kyle Dubas of the Toronto Maple Leafs. Now, you've sh- not been shy, I guess, to make some deals, uh, quite a few deals over the years with uh, Mr. Dubas. Um, you know, w- just if you could comment on what that's like and why you've uh, not been shy to deal so closely with a rival for trades. Well, I think, <laughs> obviously, uh, for us as an organization, most of our deals that we've made with Kyle uh we've had dj here so there's been there's some history that dj had with some of the players and i think the the Leafs are trying to win a cup and we were just trying to first phase of our rebuild when we made some of those deals with toronto uh cal's always been very good to deal with you know some gms are a bit more difficult to deal with they feel they got to hit a home run every deal and some of the deals we made we felt they benefited benefited both teams so um sometimes you know you're not going to win every deal you're not going to lose every deal but if both parties can come up happy that means usually it's a, a sign for both clubs and that's sounds... you know and, and where, where where you're at you know so right and i think that's important right and that kind of sounds so it's not really all that different from fantasy hockey is it then pierre i mean you're obviously dealing with the real world and us fans are out here playing fantasy hockey and some gms you just can't make a deal with them no matter what uh and other gms like you said are, are a little bit more open to you know hockey deals let's make both teams better so uh we definitely wanted to poke and prod just a little bit as most of our listeners are Leaf fans as I mentioned to you that night we, we are Leaf fans but I, I like to think that we're not as uh, as biased or perhaps as as silly as some of the ones that venture their way into the uh, Scotiabank Arena down there <laughs> I'll let you comment on that <laughs> yeah right of course now Pierre a lot's changed over the past year on and off the ice for your team I just want to get a glimpse at your leadership and management philosophy and how you've used that to guide you to make a lot of the changes that have been made in the organization yeah no obviously there's been a lot of changes um from our side of things um uh, my management philosophy is very simple um I I let (laughs) I let, you know, you hire people to do their job. You let them do their job. When they haven't done their job, you try to guide them. Uh, I don't micromanage. Uh, I always want people to have opinions. I always want people to give me how they feel about certain situations, whatever their role is in the organization. And when I don't feel that, you know, they're doing a good job or we someone better can come along, then we move on. It's, 
you know, I've matured a lot from, you know, seven years ago when I was a GM. Uh, even when I was an assistant GM, I learned from one of the best in Brian Murray. And, you know, I, I just let people do their jobs. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned Brian Murray because I was actually going to ask you about him specifically since you did spend so many uh, years working closer with the Shawville legend himself. Um, I'm just wondering what are some things that you did learn from Brian that stuck with you that you still kind of lean on today? Well, Brian, you know, Brian was obviously extremely knowledgeable. Uh, Brian knew how to deal with people. That was probably one of his best qualities. Brian rarely, if ever, got mad at me. Um but, um, you know, he made sure to get the point across. And that, to me, um, is probably one of the most important things here. Uh, Brian was uh, a tremendous or a tremendous leader. Uh, people wanted to work with him. People wanted to um, give everything to him. So, you know, with some of the best, you know, some of the best lessons that Brian gave me were not in a formal meeting. They were at lunch. They were just driving a car somewhere. You know, how to treat people, how to make sure you got the most out of people. And that's, you know, uh, as a mentor, you, you couldn't ask for anyone better than Brian. Yeah, he's pretty famous not only in these parts around the Ottawa Valley and Shawville, but Ottawa and, and likely across the nation. He had such a, a large impact on the game of hockey. Uh, looking a little closer at the team that's being iced on a nightly basis for the Ottawa Senators, Pierre, uh, you know, what's your overall opinion on the growth of the team this year? Um, some players have taken some massive steps. The team obviously went through some difficult uh, injury problems early on and even recently as well. But, I mean, my goodness, the games are important. The games are exciting. The team is exciting. The fans are in the building. Uh, it must be an exciting season. What's really sticking out for you this year as the team turns the corner? Well, obviously it's the growth. You know, for us, we're playing pretty important games here down the stretch. We're playing impactful, meaningful games. Uh, I, I think for a young player to go through that, I, I think it's it's probably the most impressive thing about our team this year. Uh, you know, th that's what we're looking at. We always said that this year um, w was a would be a great gauge to see where we're at compared to some of the other teams in our division or conference. And watching it now, I got to tell you that I'm I'm very impressed by how hard we've played. You know, considering certain circumstances. Uh, and to, for us, that's the most important thing, you know, just play, find out what, you know, playing in the grind of trying to get into the playoffs all about. And, you know, once you've gone through it once, you'll be better for it, than, you know, the following years to come. And maybe a, a little glimpse into the future, perhaps too, Pierre, um, you know, outside of the main players, the core from the team, is there anyone in your developmental system that the fans can really look forward to seeing or even something that you yourself and your coaching staff is looking forward to seeing, you know, perhaps through the offseason and into training camp next year and so on? Well, obviously, we, we've got some good players in Belleville. Uh, Robbie Arventi has really turned a corner lately um, as far as production playing center, actually, you know, positions I don't think he's played a lot in his career. But, you know, when skilled players have the puck more, it's always, you know, I think it's always good for their development. Uh, we, obviously, on the back end, we've got um, uh, JBD, Bernard Docker, Lassie Thompson, Max Kinnett that all have a chance to be NHL regulars. I, I know Bernard Docker will be for sure. Um, you know, in the junior ranks, guys that are going to jump make the jump to the pro next year, uh, level, you know, Tyler Boucher, unfortunately, injuries have really 
sidetracked his junior career. Uh, he'll need to play some games next year, but he's, you know, some pro games to get back on track, but he's someone that uh, we feel it will be a really important power forward in our quest to be a really um, a good team for a long time. And, you know, a guy like um, Ostap Chuck, uh, who's, you know, playing for Winnipeg now, one of the best teams in major junior uh, he'll be an important part in their playoff run towards the Memorial Cup, but he's a player that's going to be, you know, he'll need to spend time in Belleville, but he'll be a big part of our future. And if I can throw someone from our parts in the woods, uh, probably uh, the defense has impressed me the most that we drafted last year, Jorian Donovan. Uh, really taking huge strides next year, uh, this year in um, in uh, in Hamilton. Uh, he'll probably go back to Hamilton next year, and hopefully he has a chance to play on the World Junior Team. Well, it's good that there's been a lot of progress there, and you're seeing a lot of them draft picks that you stockpiled over the years come to fruition. Uh, this year was obviously interesting for you at the trade deadline, where you guys actually made a big splash um, and made an addition uh, in Jacob Chikrin. Now, you're uh, were rumored to be interested, in, I think, going back to last summer, and I just wanted to ask, was the price the main reason for the del delay in pulling the trigger? And at what time did you decide, yeah, I got to get this done, just going to figure out how? Um, it was, yeah, obviously the price is always uh, something that, you know, we didn't want to pay. Um, for us, <laughs> for us, you know, what the initial price was to where it was at the end, you know, there was a change in that. And uh, we've always liked the player and, um we just felt that at that point in time, we weren't ready to give up those assets. You never know where you're going to finish it, you know, and there's always, you know, we, there had to be one first rounder included no matter what. And it's, it was the language of how you protect it. You know, is it a top 10 protect? Is it a top five protect, which we ended up, is it a non-playoff pick protect? So there was certain situations, you know, is it their option, our option, all these things that you have to go through. Uh, so for us, we, you know, this is a player we haven't, we've had an eye on for a long time. Uh, we're really happy with um, we're really happy with um, how it's gone um, with this trade, and you know he he's someone that comes in and fits in really well with our group. He's around the age of a lot of our core younger players. Uh, so at the end of the day, there wasn't an exact time. You know, we all saw all the other defensemen or the teams that were targeting. Uh, you know, through the grapevine, you all hear about the teams that are targeting uh, Jacob Chikrin, and you see that they're going after other D. Uh, so I don't know how many teams were left. I know there's probably a few besides us left, and we just made an offer that seemed to work well for both sides, and the deal got done fairly quickly. Within a matter of 24 hours, the deal was done from the first time we made our offer to the time uh, the trade call was made. Well, it's very interesting because I had read some reports that it, it was almost a certainty that he was being traded to L.A., uh, and then all of a sudden that deal falls through. And I also read another report, Pierre. Of course, you can't believe everything you read on the Internet. But I read another report that maybe you weren't really all that confident that the deal was going to happen based on your offer. Like, can you talk to that a little bit? Is it the type of situation where the team comes back to you and says, look, we have this offer. Will you beat it or not? Or do you no, just submit it and hope for the best? No, I think dealing with Bill was really good, actually. We've known each other for a long time. You know, some GMs you don't know for a long while, so you don't have a history, but, you know, we're always trying to fleece each other, so it doesn't matter if you have a history or not. Right. But in dealing with Bill was, you know, was really good. All through this process, even when we weren't making deals, I called him on another player, 
and in weeks leading up and he just said uh, are you still interested in in jacob and i said yeah we always are we're not going to pay what you're asking for he goes we'll make me an offer so made him an offer on a tuesday at about five thirty or so uh we talked that night we talked the next morning uh we flew to new york by the time we got to new york you know, we just needed to work on language with them, uh, which was we were able to do. And I think the trade call happened sometime around 5.30. So that's about a 24-hour window. And um, put it out at 6. And, you know, and so the future. So uh, Bill was really good to deal with. You know, like we were going through the process. And like every other GM, he's trying to get more and more and more. And I said, here's the deal. And if you want to do it, we do it. And that was... Uh, on the Wednesday uh, in the afternoon, and, you know, we were able to get something done. Now, here's a hypothetical for you here, Pierre. If you're the oh, commissioner... I, I, <laughs> I don't like hypothetical questions. All right, well, I'll throw it at you, and you can decline if you don't like it, but I'm just, if you're the commissioner of the NHL, what's the first rule that you would look to change? If I was the commissioner of the, uh, the NHL, I'm not sure. Uh, like, i, I got to be honest with you guys. We, we just had GM's meeting. The game's really in a good place. Uh, it's exciting. Um, there's not much I would change. You know, there may be little rules that I would like to change, but something earth-shattering, I wouldn't change much. You know, there's <laughs> maybe – here's what I'll throw at you. You have the right to refusal on a referee if you want to. That, oh. That's the only thing I change. Oh, I like go. that. So I, like I, that. I gave you something, but I got to tell you, the game is really in a good place. Um, you know, I like the playoff format. Uh, half the teams have to make it. You, you got to be one of the top half teams in the league to play in the playoffs. Our playoff games are meaningful. You know, you have teams that are really good teams that get eliminated in the first round. When you make the playoffs, it's quite an accomplishment, you know, compared to where we were before. Um, you know, there's not really one rule that I would change. You know, I think I proposed uh, at the GM's meeting a few little technicalities. Um, but overall, uh, there's not much I would change about where the game is right now. I think the overtime was on the docket, too, at the GM meetings. Is that right, Pierre? Was there talk about that, possibly extending the overtime? Because I'm not going to lie to you. Like, I, I don't hate the shootout like some fans do, but there is a sense of like impending doom in the final minute of overtime. I'm thinking, oh, I hope someone scores right now. You know, I'm not just talking about my favorite team or anything, but it's kind of a letdown. Yeah, but we looked at that, and we looked at the, I think the East Coast League goes to a seven-minute overtime, and the small percentage that it would bring, obviously, I love overtime. I'm not going to lie to you. I watch hockey pretty much every night when I'm home. Uh, the only nights when I'm not home is either I'm on the team with the road or I'll go watch my son play. Um, and I, And when a game goes to overtime, I'm flipping over to that game. Right. Uh, our overtime is outstanding. Uh, so we got to be careful. You know, there's always, you got to look at it, not just right then and there. You got to look at it maybe 30,000 feet over and making sure that, you know, the decisions you make will have certain impacts. You got to look at, you know, quality of ice. Uh, we don't flood, we just dry scrape. Um, you know, you got to look at player injuries because most of the time you're going to use about the same nine players in overtime, nine to 10 at the most. You know, and they're really skating because it's open ice. You know, you got to look at a lot of these factors. But I got to tell you, I love overtime in the NHL. It's you know, it's the best way to 
finish a game and I think in any pro sports yeah you and me both I mean both regular season and playoffs I think both of them are perfect uh, three on three super exciting all the best players uh, on both teams out there trying to win the game and then of course playoffs it's just classic baby five on five until someone scores so yeah I couldn't agree with you more Pierre yeah now, what about the uh, last one for you here, Pierre, before we let you go, last couple of minutes here. Wanted yep. to poke and prod a little bit on the sale of the team. Very exciting time right now. Uh, is there any sort of update that you can provide for us or even just your own general thoughts, Pierre, during this process? Like, is there anxiety, nervous energy, super excited to see where it's going? Like, where are you at in terms of new ownership coming in? Well, I'm excited. Uh, but I've got to say, you know, the board this year and uh, and Olivia and Anna have really let me do my job as far as, you know, trades and everything going on. And, you know, in this phase of the rebuild, uh, it's been it's been fun this year. I'm not going to lie to you. This is probably the most fun I've had, except for maybe for our first year where the mandate was tried and win, win as quickly as you can. Right. Uh, this has been a lot of fun this year. Uh, I love the staff we have. Uh, you know, hiring Ryan Bonus uh, has been a great thing. Interaction with the coaching staff. It's been a lot of fun this year. It's been the most fun I've had in a long time. Um, but as far as nervous energy, no. You know, we're, you know, whether I'm the GM here or anyone else moving forward, I know this team has probably the best young core of players. They're all pretty much, except for uh, Jay Sanderson, that we can't sign until this summer. Uh, to an extension, or it will be the following year. Uh, we have one of the best young cores in hockey. Although our contracts are good, we don't have one bad contracts on our book. Uh, we got the freedom, you know, to spend. You know, we're going to be probably at the cap next year, very close to the cap, which will be the first in a long time. Um, in all my seven years as GM, uh, we haven't been close to the cap uh, many times. So I, I think in whomever the owner is, we just have to be at the cap just the way our, our contracts are moving and guys getting out entry level and stuff like that. But, you know, it's ex- I think it's exciting. It's exciting that we're going to get, you know, someone who can help us, guide us, you know, to a long-term, lot, lots of long-term success here, uh, whomever that might be. Um, and, and, you know, when it comes time for me to meet with them, I'm sure we'll have some really productive discussions, but I'm really looking forward for this, uh, at this, this organization, take the next step with new ownership. And, and, but the previous ownership was always good to me. And as I've said, this has definitely been, um, except maybe for my first year, uh, this has been the most fun I've, I've had being a GM in my term. Yeah, and I don't think that should come as any surprise, Pierre. I mean, being in Pembroke here, there's lots of Sens fans. Uh, as you know, you were kind of uh, yeah. uh, <laughs> you were approached by many of them uh, at the PMC. I mean, we, we, we come down in droves uh, to, to watch the Sens play, and you know, the fans here are feeling a level of excitement. I mean, come on, Pierre, they were telling me that they were going to make the playoffs and beat us in the first round because <laughs> we can't win a first round. I said, well, maybe the only team that we can beat in the first round is the Sens because that, I don't know. <laughs> we're, we're, we're able to beat them in the playoffs 20 some years ago. It's been a really long time, but um, thanks so, so much for your time, Pierre. I just wanted to ask you one final shot before you left, um, you know, moving forward this season um, down the stretch, Sens are still in it fighting for the playoffs. Um, are, are you in the same group as the majority of the fans where it's, it's not a failure if you, if you don't make the playoffs? I think everything is still positive moving forward. Yeah, I think it's a process. I think it's a process. 
Uh, you look at teams that are in the playoffs this year that weren't in the playoffs last year. Uh, they went through a process where they're they're climbing up the standings. You know, they're playing meaningful games, important games later in the year. For me, it's not a failure. We've played hard for most of the years. There's probably five or six games that I haven't been happy with our performance as a team um, where we've lost. Uh, sometimes even if you play bad and you win, you seem to <laughs> you seem to forget those ones. Right. Uh, but overall, the players have played hard. They're growing through this process. It's it's I got to tell you, it's been a it's been a lot of, of fun this year, and I don't see it as a failure. We our goal, and I've said it right at the start of the year, was let's let them have fun. Let's play, and maybe we put a, a bit of too much pressure on on us early in the year, and our players hadn't been used to this play type of pressure you know them a lot of them have never played me uh, you know impactful games whether it's in the playoffs or leading up to the playoffs so at that point in time for us for us not to make the playoffs I don't see it at all as a failure I agree. I agree 100%, Pierre. Well, listen, uh, we've wrapped up here, so thanks so much, Pierre, for taking the time out of your day uh, to join the boys on, on the Pucks and D podcast. First and hopefully not last uh, current general manager in the NHL, so uh, I hope you uh, take some you know, some solace in that. <laughs> well, uh, thank you. <laughs> it was great meeting you at uh, Pembroke uh, Memorial Center, uh, I, I believe it was last Sunday? Uh, Wednesday. And- Last Wednesday, sorry, right. sorry. Uh, I'm so used to going up to Pembroke on Sundays. So from the days of uh, Danis Zubris. Oh, yeah. And, yeah. Uh, you know, I don't know if, how old you guys are, but I remember going up there to see him play quite a bit. Yeah. Um, to, to go and see my son play. It's always a great place. You know, a lot of great hockey fans up there. Great barn. It's 71 years old. I think it might be time to move on or get an upgrade there, eh, Pierre? <laughs> I'll, I'll let you deal with the politics of Pembroke. <laughs> All right. Sounds good, Pierre. Thanks again for your time. You have a great day and good luck down the stretch. Perfect. Thank you. All Bye-bye. the best, Pierre. Thanks. Well, let's go. How about that, man? A real, uh, real life general manager, not just a fantasy league general manager. <laughs> as I got plenty of those. I mentioned that. Had to sneak that in to the interview with Mr. Dory on that. Yeah. Okay. At that time in the interview, it was semifinals in my fantasy leagues, and uh, I couldn't stop thinking about it. So to be able to actually talk to a real life general manager, very exciting. Pretty cool thing for uh, the Pucks and D podcast. Yeah, he's a beauty. He. Answers, I thought the questions really thoughtfully. Um, Give us a lot of insight, too, there. It it was interesting to hear some of his responses just in terms of, especially when he talked about how things have been, and you could hear, like, the excitement in his voice. Oh, for sure. You know, he he said it straight up, like, I've had so much fun. I've really enjoyed it so much this year. Um, He talked about the board being great, and he mentioned uh, the new ownership being great and allowing him to spend at the cap, and you know, ice a more competitive hockey team. So we're seeing the results on the ice. So it's interesting to get his perspective. And he just sounds like he's re-energized. And, you know, I kind of forgot he'd been there that long. He'd seen the teardown and now the rebuild. So to finally see, you know, more butts in the seats and some more excitement around the team, that's got to be rewarding for him. Well, yeah. I mean, when you think about it, he was inserted into... Uh, a bit of a strange vacuum type season for the Senators and even the Sens fans themselves will tell that to you that, you know, 2017 was some magical run, right? Yeah. Like they weren't near the cap. They didn't have necessarily the, the, the game breakers. I know they had a lot of great talent last year. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying they didn't have any talent, 
But it just it didn't seem like the construction of a team that's like, okay, this is the year we're going to go deep or we're planning on going deep for many, many years, right? Um, it kind of culminated in that 2017 run. And then after that, it just it just imploded. No more work after that. No more fun, as we mentioned. No uh, one gets early, paid earlier. Yeah, yeah it's just no it's paid. just yeah. So to hear him talk about this year and kind of what it meant to him, and it, it was cool to see that the how much the environment has changed. And you know, we didn't even have to mention the previous owner's name, but you could kind of hear a bit of it in his voice in his answers as to how different things really are. And it sounds like he's just really able to do his job maybe in a way that he couldn't previously. Well, the, I, I zoned in on two different uh, statements that he made. They were both similar. One was earlier on in the call when you asked him about you know, what his philosophy was like, the uh, somehow I managed question for right. Michael Scott. Right? <laughs> so there was that question and... As he was answering that, he kind of laughed a little bit before, almost as if to say, like, oh, I don't know if I should say it like this, but I'm going to. At least that's how I yeah. I interpreted it when he said, uh, well, I let people do their jobs. Yeah. Like, I thought that was very telling. And then fast forward 10 or 12 minutes later in the interview, he again mentioned that it's super exciting. I get to do my job. Yeah. I'm loving it here. So two times in different ways, he kind of worked it in. And I don't know if that was Mr. Dorian being cryptic or just being open and honest. I, I hope it's the latter because I do feel like, uh, you know, we settled in quite nicely and had a really good chat with Mr. Dorian. And that was uh, one of the highlights, if not, you know, probably top or second highlight for the podcast so far. I've had a few people say that, uh, you know, this guy coming on the show would be bigger than James Duffy. So oh. up for, up for debate, but <laughs> I, I mean, I'm not complaining, right? We're getting yeah, no, great he was, I felt like he was really honest in his answers and thoughtful. And so it was really good. Uh, we're very fortunate to be able to talk to him and have him on. And I thought it was really interesting. And this sense obviously being a very interesting team. We talked about him a ton on the show over the years. Obviously, a lot of it was, for years is bad news, drama related. And but then, unfortunately, we couldn't get away from that. Oh, it wasn't our fault. Yeah, and it, it wasn't. It was they were they were making the news, right? And it's this past year, though, with so many positive stories and uh, all the signings and growth of these young players like Timmy Stutzla, I think he's uh, 80 points he hit on the weekend. So he became the youngest Ottawa center to score 80 points in a season. Oh, he's just having a phenomenal year. And I remember watching him in the world juniors. Actually, I, I believe I was prop betting him a lot. Okay. Riding him and Paterka playing uh, uh, on the German team. And I, I was blown away by his skill. Like I, I was surprised that he was, I think he was ranked like three or four, something like that going into okay, the yeah. draft. I thought he, I I thought he would have been ranked a lot higher, so I'm not that surprised to see like, you know, when people say redraft, a lot of people are putting him number one right now, and some people are saying Jake Sanderson would be in top five as well. Yeah, well, I mean, it, it's no secret that the Sens have done a good job drafting in re in recent years as well. Um, you know, would have been nice to to peel back that onion a little bit in terms of the draft. He did give us a few great names. Uh, of some prospects coming up within the Sens organization that I think a lot of our a lot of our listeners are actually Sens fans. Well, so he was a scout too up. for twenty years. Yeah. So you got to think 
the draft is something he probably takes a, a good amount of interest in. For sure. And hands on there for sure. Yeah, for sure. All GMs are, but mm -hmm. I, I, I like where your angle, the angle you're coming from as a former scout for so many years, you're going to have your fingers in that recipe a lot more yeah. uh, than if you weren't, let's say, um, Another thing I thought was really interesting, dude, was the inside look into dealing with uh, other general managers. And when he was talking right. about Bill Armstrong uh, down in Arizona, finalizing that Chikrin deal and, and that, um, what did he say? Uh, that he called him on another player. Yeah. I, 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 as soon as we held the phone with him, I was like, oh man, we should have followed up just to see who that other player was. Right. Maybe he would have told us, was he, was he calling on Nick Schmaltz? Well, I wonder was if he, he call, was you know, calling on someone, but... Want, like actually wanted to talk ch Chikorin. Like I wonder how oh, yeah. often that happens. Oh, actually, I was wondering about this guy here Gossip and then, or whatever. Well, well, I guess I got you. What, what do you want for this guy too? Yeah. Right? Almost to make it sound like, well, we're not that interested in him. We're we're more interested in this guy. It's like a little misdirection thing. But you know what was really interesting <clears throat> on that topic? He made it sound, and we'll have to play it back to to really make sure. But he made it sound as if it was Bill Armstrong that said. Hey, aren't you still interested in Jake? Right. And then Pierre's like, maybe, but we're not going to. That's what he said. But yeah, I am, but we're not paying what you're going to pay. Yeah. So he said, make me an offer. And then they took it in 24 hours. I mean, I'm assuming, obviously, there's no reason for Pierre Dorian to lie about that scenario. Mm -hmm. So if, that, if that's exactly how it went down, then that's extremely interesting to me, given what I said during our interview. There were multiple reports that were saying Chikrin was going elsewhere. Now, of course, that can happen. As I mentioned to Pierre, you can't believe everything you read. Yeah. But it just seemed strange to me that all of a sudden the news broke. Boom, the Sens landed Chikrin. And it was kind of out of nowhere, but not really. Because as you mentioned, there were some reports of interest being involved. But mm -hmm. such a steep price all of a sudden became almost like a giveaway. It's, it's they, I, they, I guess they got to a point where they had to, they just had to do it. They had to get it done. But is, was that that was the best one they had? Yeah, I... I find it hard to believe That's that there weren't saying. better offers probably earlier in the season or even at the midway point of the season. There must have been better offers. And that's why all the reviewers are giving Pierre Dorian an A-plus on this one because of the price that he ended up paying. Right. He essentially sat on his hands and waited it out. And, you know, I wouldn't say it was the last, last minute, but pretty close. Yeah. As far as, you know, the time timeline that we looked at with a lot of the big trades that were made. But, dude, if you're Billy Armstrong, do you not pick up the fucking phone and say, hey, we just got this, this, and that. Can you beat it? Yeah. To someone else. Yeah. No, like, I, I just, I don't well, know. He also mentioned having a positive relationship with him. That's so exactly it. That, that could have made it a little easier to get the job done there as well. I wonder what GMs, obviously, <laughs> you can't even waste time asking this question. It's so stupid. But I would love to know which GMs he's talking about when he says some GMs you just can't deal with. They have right. to hit a home run every time. Right. Yeah, that would be interesting to know. And you, know, you, you might think, too, it'd be a lot of the guys who maybe don't make a lot of deals. That's what I was going right? to go with. Like like they're to... not willing. It depends how risk-averse you, you really are as a general manager. I'd like to look at that graphic, actually. All the GMs in the league and, and how many trades have they made each season that they've been, you know, I don't need to get too in, in detail, but, you know, this guy made 18 trades in the last three seasons. Mm -hmm. This guy made one. Because you look at... Everyone always makes the example of uh, Chevy in Winnipeg. 
They never trade. Yeah, he doesn't do they anything. They rarely do. The, when they have, though, they've been big ones. Line A, I know when they traded uh, Tyler Myers and those guys, like, it's been big moves, but nothing, you know, even this year, it's like, Jets were pretty good and the West is wide open, but yeah. they barely budged. So would you would you lean to that side then, that maybe Chevy is an example of a guy that you be. just can't deal he with? He might be. He's got to fleece you. Yeah, it's like... <laughs> He's got to fleece you. I guess where the, a lot of the risk comes in when making trades too, it's like day one, is there a clear winner? And are you willing to not be the, the clear winner on day one to win right. eight, three or four years down the road? Right, which is a tough look. Yeah. It, it, like it's all recency bias, right? So mm-hmm. what have you done for me lately? Well, what you just did was a stupid trade that makes no sense. And I don't care about three years from now, but then three years from now rolls around and you've got this super stud and you're like, oh my God, am I ever glad we made that trade? You can have two opinions on the same trade, but <laughs> clearly a lot of time has to elapse yeah. before those two different opinions can be formulated. And uh, lastly, dude, well, maybe not lastly, but lastly for me, my big takeaways from the interview, that referee comment was awesome. Yeah, I, I've never heard that idea <laughs> before. The right either. of refusal of an official is a great idea. I wonder how much that turns into like a slippery slope. Like I can see the league shooting that down really quick. Like, well, if you got to do that, then you probably have no officials left by the end of a year or something. Which is true, it, though. Yeah, because there's not a ton of them, right? And I can't imagine how easily or like what it would take, I guess, for an what would be your personal threshold as a general manager to be like, yeah, that's enough of this guy. I've seen enough. Like he's a, he's got it out for us, or he's got it out for yeah. a, a couple of our guys or something. Yeah, yeah. You know, and 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 I imagine some of that might be driven from like the players and the coaches being like, yeah, this guy fucking hates us. Like, so I have a question for you, and I'm kind of posing it to the hockey world. I'd love to see a journalist chase this question down. Why don't more retired NHLers who retired earlier as in like they didn't necessarily want to go overseas and play for a decent paycheck but then you know live over there they just they were they were 32 or 33 years old right journeyman and said uh, i'm gonna hang them up why don't those guys become officials or linesmen why is it like, do you know what I mean? We look at all the referees and I'm sure the referees and the linesmen have all played some level of, yeah. of competitive hockey. I look at Dan Kelly, a current yeah. linesman in the NHL, former Lumber King, uh, lived in Pembroke for a while. So I know that they exist, but I feel like if it were a better scenario between officiating and the league and the players and the refs, I think they would be more welcome to come back on the other side and say, I mm. played this game. I'm going to put the stripes on and be a great official. In, you know, I'm wondering my why you don't see a ton of guys like that. I wonder if just you know they make them, they made enough money and they want to trans transition like off life on the road. I guess. Yeah, but they all they all want to go and be an analyst. They all want to be Jeff Oda, uh, o, o, o yeah, Dog or Neil, or they want to. You be don't got to really Poliakula. go on the road so much for that, right? No, like you're it's, right. It's a little different. I I just wonder if. I wonder if there's just a lot of separation there too. Like think about it, you played ten years in the NHL, you cussing out officials for ten years. Yeah, true. you know, you might have some okay relationships with those guys in the ice and sportsmen. Like at the end of the day, but I don't know how eager some of those guys would be join to, the other team to just go into that <laughs> environment and and how a lot of those guys would react to you know some of the type of shit that 
officials do have to deal with. Yeah. Cause my, my, my concern is, you know, the reason why I pose that question is where, where does the officiating come from? Like, where's the future of officiating? Where is it right now? Are there, are there 17, 18 and 19 year olds currently wheeling around doing everything they can to become an NHL referee? Like is becoming an NHL referee a, a goal? for children or teenagers or young adults like where do they develop i'm mm-hmm. interested in this like uh, where do they come from because right now as we see in youth sports it ain't a great scene no it's not good and it's they're losing it's a, them it's a problem for sure it, they're losing them like crazy and there was an interesting story it was uh, a retired official paul stewart i believe he had posted online that he had gotten wind or had been around when a current NHL coach berated a minor hockey official, giving them the do you, don't you know who I am treatment to a teenaged minor hockey official. I'm just going to stat correct you real quick. It was Tim Peel, former retired NHL official. I don't think it was Tim. Yeah, look it up right I'll now. I'll look it up, but yeah, go ahead. I'll keep going because I know it was Tim. And he was... The reason why I know that, Lesko, is because we had him booked on the show. Right? So we had him booked on the show, and then he fucked us off. And it kind of pissed me off a little bit. We're a nobody show. Okay, I get it. Like we're we, Well, he also probably just scrolled down and saw that we ripped, ripped him like a bunch we didn't rip him. What are you talking about? We ripped him. We ripped him whenever he fucking got caught with the hot mic. Yeah, so did everyone in the universe. And, and he. Um, as hard as we did? Well, maybe not. <laughs> maybe not. But like he went on lots of shows after that and was totally fine with talking about it. And I was even texting with him saying, hey, yeah, we're going to talk about that. And he was like, yeah, it'll be fun. Like everything was, everything was fine. Then he totally fucked us up. So when that news report came out. So it is, it is Paul Stewart. Just to correct you from correcting me. Really, dude? Yeah. yeah. Oh, man. Well, I feel terrible about that because I like then then the report I read was wrong because I'm telling you right now it said Tim Peel. Okay. And I remember being like, well, makes sense because old Peelers, you know. I actually I found that. So it says he posted this and this is back in early February. And I haven't really seen any surprising. I'm sure, I'm sure some people from the athletic or somebody's looking into this, but I haven't seen a lot of media Following it, following follow up or any anything official to come out, and I know that that's more time consuming than uh, procedure than somebody posting on Twitter. But anyway, right. so he says it was brought to my attention to a f- uh, to, to a former NHL officiating uh, officiating colleague of mine and a current NHL coach were involved recently in incidents where they were allegedly verbally abusing and bullying a young amateur officials at youth hockey games. And he says, I have both uh, the incident reports from these that were filed by the officials. So this is all very much true by the sounds of things, but yet there hasn't been anything really to come of it. And I, and you got to figure something has to do with, I don't know how many people are probably willing to name names for fear of retribution. Right, but there's a We're cur- talking about people in high, high places here. But a current coach? A current NHL coach cussing out youth officials... And if that's not like a prime example of what's wrong with youth youth sports and why there isn't a problem retaining and training officials, that is it right there. So, dude, listen, I'll tell you right now the problem the, the, one, the 
problem that exists with doing a show off the cuff like we're doing right now what? is not having prep and not like fact checking ourselves because here's what I just pulled up on my phone from The Athletic. Tim Peel, a former longtime NHL referee who became known as an object of social media scorn due to perceived in-game mistakes, allegedly entered the referee's dressing room and so it was him. It was Tim Peel who did it. Then that's what I'm saying. Oh bro. my god, what a dick! That's what I'm trying to fucking See, tell we knew you. This bro. guy was NASA. I thought you meant that he reported it. No, it was Tim Peel. It that was did Tim it. Peel that did it. What a shit bag! And I'm so glad that my fact check was fact checked by your fact check, and then <laughs> I, I mean, was like, "Look how much we're doing journalism right here!" Dude, like, look how long it took I was to so, us to put that together. I was so upset with myself that I went on the record right now. Like, I was mm-hmm. considering pressing pause and being like, "We gotta figure this out. We gotta figure this out because I can't be fucking dumping on Tim Peel like that." Now, mind you, I have somewhat of a very small in like non-important scorn, I guess, with Tim with Tim Peel that he kind of fucked us off. I just said earlier. Yeah, yeah. So when I read that report, I was like, good, you know? <laughs> good. I'm, I'm, glad, I'm glad we didn't have him. Not surprised. The, He's I'm, an ass. <laughs> I'm glad we didn't have him on the show. Um, so, yeah, this says former NHL official and current NHL coach. Do they name the NHL coach? They must not. It would have been a way bigger story if they did. Um, actually, not all that surprises Tim Peel given just um, actually, you know, he was really active too on social media and like doing podcasts and all that stuff there for a little while. And he's gone dark and that must be why it is why it because must be. He, he was a, he was a regular on NHL network yep. radio um, where I've spent some time also yep. no big deal. Um, they had him on a few times on the point with Boomer Gordon and Jay Khan, friend of the show. Um, they don't have him on anymore. Haven't heard right. him on in a while. He was also on a few times, um, or at least once he was on with Overdrive. Okay. He was a, a guest. Now, that, that doesn't mean anything because he could have been a guest now and then he might never be a guest ever again. Right. So I'm not saying that he was, you know. But yeah, no, I have, haven't um, been heard from. But this entire article, um, it doesn't mention the coach okay. at all. Yeah, I I'm glad there. W- well, I guess glad there's something that come of it. Other because I feel like this is a really a situation where I could use a name and shame, you know. Yes. Like, okay. Well, I guess if you delete your Twitter handle, you're not really going to get too much of the effects of that. But because he says here um, in follow up tweets as well that the former NHL officials got a slap on the wrist. He describes it as a 30 day suspension from youth hockey coaching and a two year ban from entering officials dressing room for any reason. Not sure why they should be allowed to enter the officials room for any reason anyway. Uh, like, fair, I'm, fair enough. I, but I, I feel like that was a big time move to begin with. It is. But if you're not going in there for bad reasons, isn't that great? Like, wouldn't it be great if a former right? If you NHL went down, said, "Hey, good in. job out there," yeah. instead of "Don't you know who I am?" and all that shit. Yeah, yeah. No, I I, I hear your point a hundred percent, though. Lesko, right. not anybody. I was just wondering just... why why that anyone's allowed to waltz down there right. in the first place. Right. Considering, I I would feel like most cases, if a parent of a spectator or whatever is coming down there, it's not to it's say not good good game, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's so true. It's oh, so true. Man. So anyway, I guess he says here he was appealing it, and then he also says that I don't know if anything will happen to the current NHL coach. Yeah, so that is just – that's a gross story. Like, it sucks. And especially when 
we're talking about a, an ex NHL official here. Like you, you of all people should have respect for the, the youth officials of the game. And I don't care what your personal involvement is, whether it's your kid or your beer league or whatever it is, mm-hmm. you know, that's just not at all what you should be doing. Okay. Well, I'll tell you right now, let's go. What this does is this erases any goodwill that he had built up when he did his media tour right. after he had the hot mic. Cause he was kind of building himself a bit of a, I guess, a. I don't know. The better, victim. Uh, building a uh, sort of, and just building a, a reputation as an analyst or whatever you want to call yeah. it based on his credentials, but my, you know, my long-time th- official. My thing was that he was kind of playing a, a victim card as in this happens all the time. Well, he did. He brushed it, it off a, regular, a lot. Yeah, it was just a regular thing that when, when we say we got It was him, the Mike's fault that he got fired, not what he did. Right, exactly. Right? He didn't see so a problem with that. It was kind of the victim, and, and I remember a lot of the narrative, like a heavy percentage of the narrative after the hot mic incident was just that, that it happens often. And we understand that referees uh, have to manage the game a little bit. We all know that, Lesko. So what kind of happened was Tim Peel became the sacrificial lamb. Sort of. Where unfortunately we have to fire Tim to save face, even though we all know that this happens on the regular. Now Tim Peel has two or three many two sangrias in the Tim Hortons cup <laughs> and heads down to the room to yell and scream at a couple of teenagers. in the Tim Hortons cup. <laughs> <laughs> he runs down to the room to berate some 17-year-old oh, officials. and now, in a booze. Yeah, and now, and now all of a sudden... That goodwill is gone. You're not the sacrificial lamb. Oh, it's too bad that you got fired. They had to do that. It was real. No, you're actually a fucking jerk. Well, it's and you kind got of, fired. It's kind of you are who we thought you were because <laughs> what I gathered when the story happened, when he, when he got caught with the hot mic, I was like, what an ass. Like he's power tripping, right? He sounds like he's power tripping. Well, he said, do right? you know who I am? Yeah. So then he, go, and he goes down and he's no. power tripping down at, down at the minor hockey rink yeah. yelling at kids. Yeah. Like, sorry, Bert, man, but you're... You're pissed at. Like you're brutal. Like that's terrible. And what did you? What did you honestly think the answer was going to be from those kids when you said, "Do you know who I am?" Yeah, they probably no. Probably. What do you mean, probably? A hundred percent no. Drunk old man. No, a hundred percent. A hundred percent. I do not know who you are. The only chance it is that I know who you are is because you got fired for having a fucking hot mic. That's incident. true too. If you, <laughs> if you knew who it was, that's why you would know. Is because oh, you're that ref that got fired from the NHL. Are you coming down here to tell me how to do my job? Exactly. Used? Your credentials aren't. <laughs> oh. really valid here but that is just too much well i'm glad that we solved that uh story because i would have felt real stupid had we talked about the whole thing and not named and shamed his ass for it so and i'm telling you i felt a little i felt a little sheepish bringing it up out loud and being like because i thought maybe you were not saying his name because just being the good person that you are saying like, oh, I'm not that, you nice. know, <laughs> no, I know, but I, you know, cause you were like a former NHL referee right, right. and stuff. And I was like, Paul Stewart. I said, no, he, he's talking about Tim Peel. And then we got into that little debate there. A little over, miscommunication over, over, there over between who us. It was. But yeah, I'm glad we settled on it because I agree. Let's go. I think in, I think in a case like that, unfortunately, regardless of the circumstances or what type of defense, Mr. Peel wants to put forth, that's just unacceptable from start to finish. Yeah, it's one of those things where it's like, I don't really need to hear the story about it. Me it neither. It sounds wrong to me. And yeah, me neither. Wrong enough that, you know, officials filed reports about it and it made its way to the media. So you screw it up. Talk to you later. 
Uh, now, since we're on the topic of officials, I want to do a little follow-up. You blew it. I want to do a little follow-up on a brief conversation we had last week talking about Maple Leafs not getting a five-on-three. They were the only team... And then I think it was a day or two later, and boom, they get one. They scored about 10 seconds in, too. They're on to us. They were ready. They were practiced and ready for that five-on-three opportunity. They're on to us, Lesko. But, yeah, maybe I wonder if that's the thing. You know, the league hears the chatter that people are figuring it out, and then all of a sudden they're like, oh, we got to give them a little distraction power play. 100%, because it's not like it's not like you broke that story, right? Like you no, read the, it started you coming read the up stat. a lot. Yeah, yeah, you read the stat, and then you, you referenced the stat on the show. I have a funny story about that too. Just quickly, I mentioned it to my Leaf group chat because there was a terrible call in whatever. What game did they get the five on three on? Oh God, don't do that. Okay, all right. I'm sorry. Whatever game they got the <laughs> five on three on and they scored right. There was a penalty against the Leafs just earlier in the game, and I said to my buddies in my group chat, "I'm warming up to the idea that the league is out to get us. I am. I truly am." <laughs> Because that is the worst call I've ever seen. The referee is staring directly at it, makes the call anyways. And also, Lesko brought this statistic up on our podcast today, which you guys will hear when you consume it. I'm going to break it to you anyways. And I told them the stat. The whole 14, you know, we had zero. Yeah. And then four or five minutes later, we get a five-on-three penalty. Yeah, that was Thursday <laughs> night in Florida. I was actually at the Ottawa-Tampa game that night, so I didn't, oh, right. uh, didn't get to uh, catch right. any of the Leaf game, but was very happy to hear they scored that goal. So, yeah, if you think that the deck's stacked against us, these stats are probably not going to help, okay? so Well, it's not that I think that. I, I've always been... Like head, this head in gonna... the sand. I've always been head in the sand in right. that regard. I, I refuse to listen to it because I don't want to believe it. I, I've always hated using the referees or the officiating as a crutch in any sport. Um, but yeah, it, over the years, it's become a little difficult to ignore. And I guess you're going to make it even louder. I'm going right to make now. it worse for the <laughs> conspiracy-minded among us. Great. So since 2016-17, the Leafs have had four. 1,567 penalty kills, and they've had 1,466 power plays. So dead even. Dead ass even over the over the course of five years, I guess. And, Six and, years, we'll call and it. And you're saying that this is peculiar because... Well, is, is that, isn't that interesting? Like, what are really, there's, teams? There's no, there's no big gap. But like, cause let's think about how we view the Maple Leafs. I've they're not a rough and tumble team or anything. They haven't been. They don't take a ton of penalties. No, and they have the puck a lot. So and they, they have the puck a penalties. lot. So you would think that, you know, maybe they would be, there would be some gap there, right? Like, it is weird that it's just even. So it's something you can read into if you want. So here's the other one. Toronto's. But wait, league, hold on. Before sorry, you go, go ahead, to the next go one. Ahead. Do we have any other teams at all? Are there any other teams in the league that are, that are, in that realm. I don't know. I, that's, see, we don't see know. A comparable would, would give us more context. You know, if they said the cl- the next closest comparable is the Washington Capitals, who are plus 147 on the power, meaning, meaning we're about even, and the next closest has, still has 140 fucking power plays, more, like more. So one thing I did look at to g- give me some, some degree of context was I looked at uh, power plays uh, in the season, like the teams that had the most time on power play this season. Number one was Ottawa. Number two was Edmonton. Number three was Tampa Bay. So I thought that was interesting. That as is well. interesting cause because I thought maybe, okay, okay, maybe uh, a crappier team or a more grittier team, like say the Islanders is, would be one of the more heavily penalized, so they'd be down the list or something. And uh, so we're looking at 
Tampa, Edmonton, two good Toronto comparables. Yes. A lot of possession there. Yes. But you look at, you know, we, we've driven, drawn this line before it. How does McDavid draw all these penalties? A lot of it has to do with the speed, but then comparably Matthews drawing next to no penalties. I think there was that point uh, a year or two ago where he'd gone most of the season without drawing a penalty. Yes, which is absurd. For the amount of time he spends with the puck seems a little absurd. It's absurd. Um, for me, it all, it all comes down to possession. I think Ottawa being on that list is a result of hard work, man. The team is, is a hardworking team. We talked about it earlier with Pierre. Like, it's, it's a hardworking team, and with hard work comes drawing penalties. And they were great the other night, uh, by the way, against Tampa Bay. Uh, Tampa Bay was kind of just, I don't know, Sunday skating a little bit. Oh, when they put up but seven? It was, it was a good game. Like, they were, they were on them. They were moving the puck well. Dabrinkit was phenomenal. Scored a couple goals early in the first. And the game got really chippy, too. There was a lot of mouthing going on the bench there. Uh, Maroon took a 10 uh, during a... Uh, TV timeout, so I almost okay. I had no idea what he said or what happened or anything. Right? He's just in the box. Yeah, so there was a bunch of the game got real chippy. So good entertainment, lots of people in the stands too. So love to see Tampa lose. Yeah, yeah, it was good to see Tampa lose. I, I said to my wife when we went, I was like, I can't remember the last time I've gone here and cheered for the Senators, and it'd probably been over a decade since I'd been to a non-Leaf Leaf hockey game. game. Yeah, okay. So I'm like, you know what, I'm. A little golf clap when they score a goal. You know, I'll give <laughs> a them that. Golf clap. Yeah, yeah. All right. What's your second one? Hit, All right. Hit me with so the second, second one. one here is uh, Toronto's league rank in power play time by season. So this is like out of thirty-two or whatever um, total minutes on the going power back play. to twenty sixteen seventeen. Okay. And you, you you're actually talking about like on the power on the power play, play not time. just a call that was made correct okay. yeah not just uh, a power play awarded yeah yeah okay but time on power play which i like so 16 17 21st 17 18 31st Ugh. 18 19 29th Ugh. 19 20 26th Oof. 20 21 25th okay. 21 22 29th and this year currently sitting at 25th so 25th being so, the best right no no being like the lowest the lowest. So 32 being the lowest and number one being the most. I know. That's what I mean. That's play. what I mean. So our best was 25th. 25th. <laughs> 25th was our best. Uh, yeah. In terms of that ranking. So that's a little interesting. and might kind of join up a little bit with the stat from earlier about, you know, if you look at a stat like that, um, there's not spending a ton of time. On the power play. You know, it's... Oh, man. It's such a stupid conversation. I hate to have it, but we have to have it. When these statistics... Yeah, we don't, when, don't necessarily have to, like... I'm just saying, these are these are stats that I just like to throw out <laughs> and not read saying. into too much because you could drive yourself crazy. You get right on board with those people who think that the league's stacked against us. It, it feels like you're either on one side, though, aren't you? Like... You're either a Leaf fan and you think the league's out out to get us and the refs are out to get us, and everyone else thinks it's the exact damn opposite. Yeah, I don't understand how everyone else can think it's the opposite. So if anything, these are better at refuting that. I know, but dude, do you even really need evidence to refute some fucking moron's statement that the league favors the Leafs. You've even had how co- stupid do you have to be to actually believe that? And I, I assume they do it just to stir the pot. But we've had league general managers and coaches insinuate that they favor the Maple Leafs. Like how? Like it's not just some random Joe lives in lives in his basement, you know, like on his computer all the time, 
trolling or something because I think you're right. I think the majority of people who want to go on social media and, and post that or something, yeah, I guess the Leafs can thank the refs for tonight's game. Like when in the history have we ever been able to thank the refs for anything? That Dating thing. back to 93, the high stick on Dougie Gilmore. <laughs> for the love of God, when was the last time something happened and we were like, oh, yeah, we got away with one there. <laughs> you know, like never. There, there was the uh, the continuation goal from the other day. Which should have counted. That, that absolutely should have all counted. The time. But I thought in that moment, I'm like, there's no way we're getting this one. Because they, I was like, oh, the whistle blown. Like, we're screwed here. They're just going to say whistle blown. Like, too Which bad, used so to sad. be the rule. Used to be the rule. And I forgot that about that continuation of play that they can say, like, we went, but it shouldn't have. So, yes. therefore, it's a goal. Um, I thought a, for sure that was going against us. That's a can of worms, too, man. Yeah. Because at what point, like, what's the statute of limitations there? I don't know. That's that's a good question. Because if the, the rule is play till the whistle. Mm-hmm. So if the whistle goes and the goalie's like, oh, well, I'm, I'm good. And then they yeah. put it in. Because they can, they can also say uh, they intended to blow the whistle, and therefore it's not a goal. Yeah, and that's been a rule for a very long yeah, time. That's I, a, I remember that's an that. interesting one. It make it does make sense, and it happens in those situations too, where the goalie's got it frozen, he had it. and he's got it frozen, yeah. and then somebody jabs at it and it yeah. goes in. And so. see, in, in in this case, I would have been, I I would have been floored that it counted if the goaltender had had it, right. like ha- actually had it covered in yeah. some fashion under the blocker or under the stick, but he literally never did. Like it was free 100% of the play. It was yeah. free. Bunting with a nice little play there. It was good on him to, to follow that up and, yeah. and to see, notice that puck was loose and freed up. Do you think that, do you, do you think that Bunting celebrating like he did helped? Like do you think at that point in time if – if no one celebrates and everyone just gets like real angry right. and they're all like, oh, 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 do you think the ref can be like, oh, I'm sorry, I blew it. And then that's it. We don't get it. Right. But, you but get then a different reaction. He was, yeah. Yeah. He celebrated and he skated over. And I he, wonder if he thought, like Bunting thought that he was helping by, by selling. I, I like, think so. He was doing the point and everything. Eh? Well, I, I think so. It's kind of similar to like, um, like a baseball play. Right, and I don't mean like the MLB. Like, right. let's bring it down to the core. Like, just playing, you know, in a softball game at your rec league or here in Pembroke for the Ottawa Valley Baseball League, the Pembroke Athletics. You know, like I'll tell the boys, like, sell it. You know, like sell that call. Like yeah. when you get the tag down, you get a tag down. I'm not even applying the tag. I'm the shortstop. Mm-hmm. The second baseman applies the tag. I'm the shortstop going, yeah, let's go. You know, right. we fucking got him, baby. Three outs start going off the field. Yeah, we're off the <laughs> yeah. field. And then the umpire is just kind of like, yeah, sure, out. Like I believe yeah. what he said. I believe what he Especially said. Especially with uh, umpires, too, in those situations, you, you notice this all the time, but they do hesitate sometimes for a oh, second absolutely. or two, right? Yeah. So with that, you could be influencing them whether they notice or not. Yeah, and I mean, uh, with the MLB, you got video replay. So like, yeah, trying to sell it. They got it. that going back on them. <laughs> yeah, so. trying to sell it doesn't really matter. But I, I really did wonder in that moment. Um, speaking of bunting, are you okay on the refs? Do you want to bitch about the refs No, anymore? I'm good. Okay, no, so speaking about bunting, um, have to talk about the – conversation that wasn't had between him and Sheldon Keefe. Did you, uh, did you I, I did that see that, but what happened on the shift? I wasn't sure what he was like. I don't know what people are drawing the line to, right? Because I saw some people like post that and, and try and make hay out of that, but it just looked like nothing to me in the moment. Okay. So, it looked like a guy talking to his coach and okay, so that's I, it. I, unfortunately I do not 
recall the shift prior. Mm -hmm. Something bad happened. It may have been a goal against uh, or a penalty against or something. It wasn't a good shift. And when they went back to the bench, and I saw this live, and as I'm talking to you about it now, let's go, I'm pretty sure it was following a goal, but don't, don't quote me on that. Regardless, I was watching it live, and I happened to see that interaction live. Did you or did you just catch it like on social? No, I saw the interaction as it happened. Okay, so I'm surprised to hear you say what you said because I, in the moment, live, I was like, hey, Bunts, what the fuck? Like, you're going to acknowledge at all? Are you going to nod? Are you going to shrug your shoulders? Are you going to put your hands? He did nothing. Like, he he had zero acknowledgement Mm -hmm. of what Keith was talking about. The conversation was one-sided completely. And, and it typically bunting, is on the bench And there. bunting, uh, yes and no. I can disagree with you a little bit there. I see lots of engagements where there's a head nod. Yeah, it or, depends on what's being said though, right? You're right. No, no, you're right. But I, I personally was like, I was thrown off by it. I'm not mm-hmm. like angry or I don't want to write an article about it. Right. But I was thrown off and I didn't like it. Yeah. I didn't like Why'd it from bunting. Why did you like bunting. it then? Oh, I didn't you like just it didn't like bunting. it like... You, I don't like the attitude there. Okay, okay. Oh, yeah, I can, I can... Because I do know that, it, that I do know that it was not a great shift. I do mm-hmm. wish I could put myself back well, in that moment. Well, just reading the know. body language of both the coach and Bunting in that situation, it didn't look like he was saying, great job out there, bud. No, no. You it know? Was, yeah, it was a coaching moment, and Bunting didn't have time for it, mm-hmm. and he didn't play a shift. You didn't play after that? He was benched the rest of the third. Okay, well, there you go. So there was definitely... There's meat some, on that bone. There's definitely something there, and I think... I think it's not surprising, and maybe it wasn't surprising me in the moment, simply because we've seen him push Bunting a bit lately. Because Bunting's been a little inconsistent, I'd say. And I know it's his sophomore season, really. He's he's just kind of getting acclimatized. But he's put in a really good situation. You know, he's been given a huge opportunity. Well, he's got the garden seat. He had the garden seat. Exactly. He was, he right? was like, laughing his With way to the bank there. Putting on points now, he's got 20 goals this year. But I just think that in order for him to be a true top six, top line winger, they're looking for a little more, and they want to make sure they're getting it out of him night in, night out. So we saw that too. With I think it was last week, they had moved Bunting down in the lineup, and that's probably the first time since I want to think early last season that we saw him moved off that off of Matthew's wing. Yeah, he's been a staple there for quite some time. Um, my, my, my thing here, Lesko, is I wonder if Bunting is a little too... Like, sometimes I think he gets himself drawn into the agitation role. And, like, uh, you can't... You can't just have a full deck of agitation cards. Right. You have to have other cards to play the game. You can't just keep playing your agitation card every fucking shift. Right. You have to have just, you know, the standard chip it out, pucks in deep. There it is. You know, pucks on net, get to the front of the net, grind guys out. And I'm not saying that he doesn't do these things, but I just wonder if sometimes the the goal in his mind is is shifting away from being effective not getting scored on, trying to score goals, right. and it's solely on agitation. Like you're worried that maybe his focus sometimes Yeah, his focus is, isn't where it needs isn't to be. Isn't where it needs to like, be. Like, I appreciate the focus, though, where he's trying to get their best players off the game. I know mm. that that's part of sports in general, not just hockey. 
you know, you go out on a basketball court and you're chirpy, chirpy. You can't yeah. hit him, but you're chirpy, chirpy. You're trying to get him off his game. You know, I, I appreciate that Bunting brings that to the to the club, but I just wonder if sometimes he's he's too much involved right. in it, and then he's got to get dialed back. And I don't know how you dial a guy back like that when yeah. he's in agitation well, mode wear, for sixty he, minutes. He's one of those guys who wears his emotions too, and maybe that's a little bit telling from that moment as well, where he just looked like he was kind of a little bit pissed off, a little frustrated. I don't want to hear it, you know. And but these guys go way back. Um, not really concerned about you know relationship or anything there. No, me neither. And I, I actually like that he is pushing bunting because there's a lot there's a ton of potential there with that guy. Right. Right. There's a ton. Like and he, yes, he's done well. What yes, his numbers are great, but I think they have more they want more from him. And if yeah. they're gonna go places in the playoffs, I think they're gonna need more from him. And right now that those two top six left wing slots are not anywhere set in stone. If anything, Yarn Croak is sounds like he's penciled himself in there at least because Matthews wants to play with oh, him. Oh, he's got one counts. hand on it. And and if you've noticed too, like he's very noticeable out there. He's skating his ass off. He's Dude, working really hard. He looks out there. really good there. And I want to point something else out that I'm not sure you noticed. You probably did. Matthews loves this guy, bro. He does. Like, <laughs> like when Yarncroft scored, like he's scored a couple goals now yeah. while on his line. What a shot. Yarncroft scored one when Matthews was on the bench and they the, the camera went to Matthews and he jumped up and was like, yeah, baby. Like he was on the oh, bench yeah. and he was fucking cheering as loud as he could from the bench for this guy. Now, I'm not saying that he doesn't do that for other players, but I sense a little bit of a bromance there. And I love Yarn Croak. I was high, very high on on the Yarn Croak deal um, when we when we required him, and it was a good hockey deal because couldn't he had, have worked out better. Really. Had term on his contract as well, right? Now I will preface that by saying I was also very high on the Kerfoot deal at the time of the deal. Like not not high on leaving Kadri. Shot but I, your own credibility. But I was high on the on on like right. well, hey Kerfoot coming in is actually good. Like people were mad about Kadri mm-hmm. and I got all that. But I remember zoning in on Kerfoot and being like, "You know what? This guy is a bit of a Swiss army knife, man. Kills mm-hmm. penalties, he's got some skill." I was looking forward to it. To me personally, I don't think it's panned out. I don't yeah. I don't think he's a terrible player, but I just don't think it's panned out. I'm right. Well, don't back. look now. He's got two goals in his last three games <laughs> after I, going 30 without any. So a shootout goal got him going. Right? Yes, that's what got him going. But like with Yarncroke, dude, I'm right back there. Yeah, I'm right back there. When when we got Kerfoot, and I was saying that I was happy about it. I am very happy about Yarncroke. I'm really happy to see that chemistry uh, with Austin Matthews. And I, I kind of look at a guy like you know, just to finish the, the the conversation on Bunting, I look at a guy like Lafferty. Okay. Lafferty, Daniel, goes in there hard, finishes checks. He's actually got some good puck skill as well, I've Fast noticed. skater, too. Fast skater. He, he handles the puck relatively well. I don't, think he's, I don't think he's flooded with vision or anything like that, but he works extremely hard, and the results actually come from that. So my question to you is, do we really need Michael Bunting to get all tangled up behind the play with Corey Perry or Patrick Maroon and get offsetting minors and get those guys off their game. Like, what's more important? Do we need that to happen or do we need the, the type of play that he can provide, which is a little bit more similar to Lafferty, 
which is high energy, guns a-blazing, get in there. And because you're going so hard and because you're going 100 miles an hour every shift, you're probably going to draw penalties. I think the vision for him has got to be some kind of Marshawn mold, if you know what I mean. Okay. Right? And Marshawn's an all-time great player. I'm not going to say Bunting is like him or anything, but you can see the similarities in the way they play the game. And... Marshan, when he started really becoming an offensive threat and a true top line player in this league, learned how to focus his energy and yeah. learn learn when to stir the shit and when to stay out of it. Yeah, because he right? wasn't he wasn't totally innocent. He didn't just flip a switch and not deal with any agitation nonsense. He still dealt with it. Yeah, but to a lesser degree. Well, and just being a little more controlled and and let's be honest, like Bunting, he, he wears his emotions on his face, like. There, I I like that he's heated. I like that he's passionate, and Me too. I like. But there's there's a line for sure, and you need to be in control of that as a professional because it affects your play. If you're caught up in the shit all the time and the chirping and the the poking at guys with your stick or whatever you're doing, then you're not focused on your primary goal, which is winning that winning that battle winning that puck, scoring goals, things like that. Yes, but you have to isolate each play as it as it presents itself to you. And hockey is a flowing game. It's never going to be the same shift twice in a row. Mm-hmm. You're going to be rubbing shoulders with this guy. You're going to be back-checking on that guy. I just, um, I, I really, I don't think I'm concerned by it. I just wonder if, you know, Sheldon Keefe, if, if his goal is to do just that, try and focus that energy where it needs yeah. where it needs to be. I think one of the, the things that no doubt the coach has noticed and I'm sure Bunting is aware but needs to adapt to is the fact that the rest know who he is now. He's not getting a ton of calls. He's not drawing a lot. Right. Like he is still drawing some and there's a lot of situations where there are non calls when there probably should be, but that's the way it goes when you play that role. Eventually, you stop getting them, and they look at, they're looking to take you, you too, in a lot of situations. Well, especially when the playoffs roll around. And that's why I asked you that question. Like, is that what we really need to win a seven-game series against Tampa Bay Lightning? Like, I don't, I don't think that that's what we need at all. I don't think we need that level of agitation at all. We need more of what you just pointed out the Brad Marchand type of approach, not saying that he's an elite scoring winger or has the vision to set up plays like Marchand is a fantastic playmaker in his own right as well. Obviously Bunting doesn't have that, but you know, something more like that, something more like a Darcy Tucker from back in the day where Tucker wasn't like, he also wasn't magnificently gifted offensively. No, but he was a loose cannon, but they cha- channeled the, his energy, right? They did. If it was a muck and grind game, then he'd muck and grind. If if Matt's needed him to tap it a few in front of the net, that's was. what he did. Right. So that's what I'd like to see more from Bunting uh, down the stretch. What is yeah. it, nine games left? Uh, yeah, and I think it's just the, there's two factors there, like I said, channeling his energy. The other one, just sorting out that left wing position because with the way Yarncock's playing, I don't see him coming off that first line. That, that line absolutely dominated Nashville last night. And the Kerfoot, um, Kerfoot starts scoring goals all of a sudden, decides he likes scoring. And <laughs> he's trusted. Like, Keith, at the end of the day, Keith trusts that guy. And, you know, I, I don't entirely because it's too many spets and special drop You've passes got some in scars. overtime. We've you... got some scars because really what it comes <laughs> down to is not fucking up in that big moment, right? Right. Like it, it's it's having the whatever it is to make the right decisions when it counts the most. That's my biggest 
my biggest thing with them. But what was your favorite one? There? I don't know who do you trust better in that position right now, Bunting or Kerfoot, right? What, what was your favorite one there when he, <laughs> he celebrated before shooting? Oh yeah, <laughs> his highlight reel from the season is unreal. That's the best. The, He's got his arms in the air. Not even in the net. It missed not, the net. Nor is it going in. It missed it's it. It's missing the net, and he's got his arms in the air. All you do is tap it in. Should have had at least one more goal this year. That's for sure. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Breakaways, putting it right in the logo. He fell off the bench a few weeks ago, like backwards. <laughs> Pretty fucking funny. Um, okay, listen, I got I, I, I got to pose this question to you before we wrap up because um, it's time to wrap up, but this could be a couple of minutes of conversation, so I'm going to pose this to you right now. Um, <clears throat> if the Leafs win the cup, let's have this, let's have this chat oh, this for one. fun. Let's have this chat for fun. If the Leafs win the cup, how long does it buy them as a franchise? Like how oh. long, how, like, and the reason why I ask this is because I, how many years since the last one? I've been, yeah, <laughs> I've been, I've been seeing like some, some raps heat. Like I know that they're headed to the play in. Right. So they got a chance to make the playoffs, but they they took some heat this year and last year. A little bit, and, yeah. And it's kind of like, holy geez, what have you done for me lately? Like, they just won a championship recently. But yeah. obviously, obviously that, that honeymoon phase is over. So my question to you is, how long do you think the honeymoon phase is for the Toronto Maple Leaf organization, uh, you know, if, if and when they, they win the Cup? Whether it be know. this year, next it's year, gotta, or 10 it's years It's got to be now. pretty long. Like, I, I got to figure. You think it lets, them off the, it lets them off the hook for I a long time? I think it does. So like like five years at least. Okay, that's what I said. You know, the weird thing with the Raps championship is that it was pre-pandemic, and that all feels like it's ten years ago. That's really true, Lesko. There's that weird thing of time over the last three three years. Time stood still. Yeah, and it was ten years before we were over COVID. Yeah, even though when you look at it now, you're like, oh man, it was actually that long ago that COVID happened. You're right; it feels like it was a lifetime ago. So I think part of it too is the Raptors point. when they weren't winning championships were always very high in the division. They they were always very competitive, yeah. whereas they've been on the fringes the last couple of years. I think they're going to make the play in again this year, which is, uh, I guess, it's a participation ribbon for the playoffs. But, but well, they could make it in. And they then, could, and yes, make some noise, right? Yeah, um, but they're not expected to make any noise if they do go. No, anywhere. and the other thing, I don't think that the two are comparable. I only brought it up because I heard that about the raps. You know, right. like holy geez. They're getting some flack. They just won recently, and I kind of thought to myself, "Well, it's minimal, what it, though. What would it be like for the Leafs? Like, okay, so like I think if they say they did win, like for example, like Kyle Dubas and Sheldon Keefe will use, they could stay here as long as they wanted. That's true. You know, they could. That's they, true. We would keep them here as long as it, you know, made sense. Basically, but would they though? I think so. Because, because what about what about two years from now after a Stanley Cup win? So you win the Cup, and the following year you lose in the third round, yeah. con- uh, conference finals. And then the year after that you lose in the second round, and you're kind of disappointed, no? Like, what's going on here? We were just, we were just the best team ever. So my, my, my thing, Lesko, is there have been too many teams lately that have went back to the buffet for seconds. Right. Two cups in a row, mm-hmm. two cups in three years. Right. So you right? think so you think immediately you win a cup. You got to do it again. Expectations are higher. I think you got to do. You got to make. You got to strike while the iron's hot, kind of thing. Don't You're you? Good though? Now, yeah, uh, yeah. I think so. I think you got to be. 
you definitely got to be icing a team that appears like it could do it. But if no team had ever won back-to-back cups since the 60s, let's say, or whatever, mm. like if there had not been a back-to-back cup winner in 50 years, yeah, I don't think it's that important then. They won it. They can f- miss the fucking playoffs next year for all I care. Right. For all I and care. And I would take I would take a 10 years of no playoffs for one. Oh, my God. <laughs> would you really, though? I would. We already did 10 years of no playoffs. That was fucking easy. <laughs> Done that before. That was easy. That was easy, he says. All right, listen, I just man. stopped watching. It doesn't get any better. Like, you stop watching by January, and then you got half your winter back. <laughs> I, think, I think you say that today, but there ain't no fucking way. If we win the Cup this year, and in eight years from now, they still haven't made it back to the playoffs, I don't think that the Cup this year is helping. It's not helping. Not really, but it still makes you go like, ah, I remember that. That was it's a good true, time. Like, uh, you know what? That's why I can't. Because we don't have that We don't now. have it. Right, right now we don't have that to go back on, and that's why it's like, what have you done for me lately? Like, it's let's true. go here. It would be magical. And that's why it's so important that, you know, they do what they did. They swung for the fence. They went huge at the deadline. You got to be all in because, as we know, these the opportunities can be few and far between. Hopefully more now that at least the team is competently run, which was not the case for most of our lives. It's true. Well, I liked your answer. Ten years, no playoffs. <laughs> <That's> okay. <laughs> I think that just I'm just trying to demonstrate like what I would do. Hopefully to we see get them to win see it. Once, so. Hopefully we get to see it. Yeah. We're gonna see it soon, folks. Three weeks till playoffs. Two quick puck pods, back to back weeks for you guys. Don't say we never did nothing for you. We'll be back at some point, probably prior to the playoffs, but we're going to let this one marinate. NHL general manager Pierre Dorian on episode 107, which is a wrap. Follow us on Twitter, at Coleman42, at Let's Go Adam. Spring is springing, man. We're almost there. Again. Can't wait to do it all over again. See you soon.